Hello and welcome to MedBits. I'm Matthew Sajan. And I'm Javeen Patel. We are two undergraduate students with a passion for medicine. This podcast will focus on increasing our understanding of medicine together in a concise format. We'll be exploring a variety of topics, such as the latest news in medicine, medical conditions, interesting research papers, and the culture of the healthcare world. Check in with us every week to stay up to date and learn a little more in just a few minutes. On this week's episode of MedBits, we'll continue to go over the nervous system. Last week, we focused more on the parts that make up the nervous system, and this week, we're ready to learn how neural impulses are actually transmitted. First, when a neuron is at rest, it has a resting membrane potential of negative 70 millivolts. This net electric potential difference is caused primarily by potassium and sodium. Within the cell, the potassium concentration is about 140 micromolar, but only 4 micromolar outside the cell. We know that this concentration difference will cause the potassium to leak out of the cell, which happens through potassium leak channels. At equilibrium, it has an equilibrium potential of about negative 90 millivolts. Contrast this with sodium, which has an equilibrium potential of 60 millivolts. Sodium follows a lot of the same principles, but you'll find 145 micromolar of sodium outside the cell versus 12 inside the cell. So in this case, sodium is actually moving into the cell through sodium leak channels. Hence, the negative 90 millivolt charge of potassium and the positive 60 millivolt charge of sodium balance out to about negative 70 millivolts. But if sodium and potassium are leaking out, how do we maintain a concentration gradient? The answer is that sodium-potassium ATPase will pump potassium into the cell and sodium out of the cell to maintain the gradients. This is no small task, and in fact, it is where more ATP is spent in our body than anywhere else. So when a cell receives a signal, it can be either excitatory, which causes depolarization, or inhibitory, which causes hyperpolarization. If the excitatory inputs are enough to hit a range of negative 55 to negative 40 millivolts, an action potential is triggered. These excitatory signals don't all have to come from the same place, but can be the result of multiple presynaptic neurons, which is a phenomenon known as summation. There are two types of summation, temporal, which is a bunch of signals in a short period of time, and spatial, which has to do with a number of signals from various locations. So again, once we reach this threshold value of negative 55 to negative 40 millivolts, voltage-gated sodium channels open up and cause the membrane potential to rise up to about 35 millivolts. Then, sodium channels become inactive and potassium channels become active. This is the peak of the action potential. Now, potassium will flow out of the neuron and will stay open long enough to not only repolarize the cell, but to hyperpolarize it. In other words, we dip past the negative 70 millivolts that we started off with. But thankfully, we have our sodium-potassium ATPase to bring us back to the resting potential. However, during this phase of hyperpolarization, the axon is in a refractory period. The two types are the absolute refractory period, when it is impossible for the cell to shoot off another action potential, 
and the relative refractory period, where a bigger stimulus than usual is needed. But it turns out that this is a feature and not a bug, because it is what allows the action potential to only go in one direction. As sodium flows into the cell, the next section of the axon hits the threshold, and the signal continues on and on in one direction since the section that has already been hyperpolarized can't receive another signal due to being in its absolute refractory period. Then, when we arrive at the end of the nerve, or the nerve terminal, we have neurotransmitters that are released into the synapse. If you don't remember some of this terminology, feel free to go to our episode from two weeks ago. Once neurotransmitters are released and bind to receptors on the postsynaptic cell, which are either in the form of GPCRs or ligand-gated channels, they have to be cleared out so the signal doesn't keep on going indefinitely. There's three ways to do this. Either the neurotransmitter can be broken down through enzymes, be absorbed back into the cell that released it, which is the presynaptic cell, through the use of reuptake channels, or finally, it can simply diffuse out of the synaptic cleft. And that's all we have for you on this episode of MedBits. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.